All right, thanks for leading us this morning. It's Christmas week. It is here. How many of you are coming to the 3 o'clock Christmas Eve service? Huh. How many are coming to the 5 o'clock Christmas Eve service? How many are going to stay home and eat Christmas cookies? Uh-huh. Oh, I am looking forward to that. I'm, uh, I've heard it's a, it's a lot of fun, Christmas Eve at uh, Desert Breeze Church. Looking forward to a great time with you on Thursday. It just, it comes so fast. We had late last night, uh, more grandkids roll in. It seems like a whole passel of them, we've got eight of them and their parents that'll be with us. And last night, enrolled a 43-foot fifth wheel parked in front of our house. Had I known what it would look like, I wouldn't have put up Christmas lights because you can't see the house anyway anymore. But here they come. So we're looking forward to making some memories. And I hope you are too, this Christmas season. And I want to take you to Luke chapter 1. It's kind of the pre-Christmas passage, which happens in Luke chapter 2. But I thought this morning we'd look at Luke chapter 1 and, and look at uh, angel talk. Uh, pretty interesting. In two places to two different people, uh, the angel Gabriel speaks. But I just want to start out by, by saying nobody likes to be duped. Nobody likes to be told something and you actually believe it or part of it, or most of it, and then find out later, eh, not exactly true or not true at all. That is a a sick feeling in the stomach when you've been duped. Nobody likes to be duped. And yet, we are told so much stuff, whether it's the news or advertising or whatever, or just some of the craziest things that people believe. It's fascinating. It's, It's kind of funny, but it's kind of sad at the same time. You go back in history... And, and some children today still believe this, absolutely. But you go back in history, and it was actually a belief in Western countries that Brussels sprouts, well, demons lived in Brussels sprouts. That was, that was actually a belief. In fact, for years, you, to prepare to eat a Brussels sprout, they would cut a cross in it. Now, some would say, oh, that's so that it cooks better. Oh, that was so that it exercised the demons out of the Brussels sprouts. And I think a lot of kids today would say, oh, I'm not eating those. They used to believe way back in the gladiator days that because the gladiators would make special prayers to these gods, little g, to to help them in the arena, that uh, drinking their blood would cure epilepsy and other diseases. And we're sitting here today going, yeah, right. See, because instantly when when something comes up, you're making a decision. Do I believe that? Is that possibly true? (laughs) That's how it is. There are some that say, Centuries ago, there was a huge continent in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. And uh, today, the only points remaining are all the Pacific, Hawaii in the north, Easter Island in the southeast, the Fiji. They were all part of this huge continent called Mu, M-U. And then eventually it just sank into the Pacific Ocean. And I wondered, is that where cows came from? And it was called, I don't know. But anyway, that's what some people believe. Other people, you know, for years, centuries, believed that the earth was flat And apparently there are still people today who believe the earth is flat. And you say, well, haven't you seen the photograph from outer? Oh, it's all all made up. It's all with technology. It's also fake. Earth's flat. What? Well, look at the horizon's flat and the bottom of the clouds. They're flat, 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 flat. It's like, okay. Some people actually believe that today. Why do we believe what we believe? 
there's, there's a whole lot of other things we could go on. I, I love this one, and I'm from Oregon where the environmentalists thrive, but there's a thing called body earthing. This is today. There's a group of people that believe that, in fact, the way to stay healthy is to stay in contact, in essence, to, to, to go barefoot outside on wet grass so that you're really connecting with the earth, to hug a tree, to connect with the earth. This will help you in a lot of disease. People actually believe this stuff. In fact, it reminds me of one strange story. One Sunday, when I was a young pastor in Oregon, uh, we, we were in our church. I, I was preaching, and I forget the reason, but I, 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 something was wrong with my shoes. So I just apologized to everyone and said, do you mind if I just speak with my shoes off today? And I kicked them off, and I preached in my stocking feet, which I didn't want to be a distraction, but it wasn't a big deal. But there was a lady there that had never been to church, <laughs> and she, she told her friend that brought her, he said, oh, I'm so glad your pastor is in harmonic convergence with the earth. I'm sure when he took his shoes off, he could get the vibes from the earth and he knew what to say. Uh, wow. It is amazing what people believe. You, you've heard a lot of this noise. I have a long list and I'm not going to take time. But in 1970, the Boston Globe told us that scientists predict a new ice age by the year 2000. And people, oh, yeah, that's going to happen. And, and then you go through history, and it starts to change. In 1988, instead of an ice age, now it's going to get hotter. They predicted that Washington, D.C. would have a lot more days per year that go over 90 degrees. They averaged 35 days per year that are hotter than 90 degrees. They said by 1988, we're going to have 85 days over 90 degrees. And in fact, you look at the record and it's actually been cooling down, you know, ever since. But so <laughs> by 2000, children won't know what snow is. We have Al Gore's great prediction of the northern ice cap. It would be completely gone in five years. He said that in 2008. What do you believe? And why do you believe it? Nobody likes to be duped, but man, our lives are filled with all kinds of misinformation. And here's the thing. We are a people, the church of Jesus Christ, whose entire basis for being together is what we believe. We don't come to church for goody points, going to heaven points. Have nothing to, we, don't, we, we get together because of the instructions of this book that we believe we believe that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. We believe that? I think I'd rather go with the flat earth thing. Oh, we believe he was born of a virgin, that he lived a sinless life, that he was the spotless lamb of God that laid his life down, taking on the sin of the world, so that we, through believing in him, through faith in him, might have everlasting life, forgiveness of sins. We believe that. We believe that. And look at all the things people believe today. It's amazing. Well, in Luke chapter 1, we're going to look at two different responses to an angel. Now, I've got to tell you right off the bat, I've never spoken directly with an angel. And if you tell me this morning you have, we might need to have a conversation after the service, but I, who knows? You know, God can do what he wants to, but... You've got to be careful when people start claiming stuff like that. But here in Luke chapter 1, yeah. In fact, not just any angel, the angel Gabriel. Two times, two people 
two locations, and two responses. So the question is, what do we believe, and why do, why do we believe it? So in chapter 1, we are introduced to a priest named Zacharias. We jump down to about verse 4. None of the scripture, by the way, this morning is on the screen for you. If you have a Bible or a pad, we're just going to kind of walk through the narrative. It's familiar to many of us, but it's, just, it's, it's a great narrative. And it says uh, in verse 5, there was in the days of King Herod, a certain priest named Zacharias. There he is, Zacharias. He's a priest. And uh, it says that he was of the division of Abijah. So he's a priest in the division of Abijah in verse 5. Now here's the deal. In the time that Jesus was born, they estimate there was something like 18,000 priests that served the temple in Jerusalem. Not all of them necessarily lived there, but they came to serve when it was their turn to serve. Zacharias was one of the priests of the division of Abijah, and uh, studies tell us that he two times a year for a week would come and serve in the temple in Jerusalem. That was a highlight week, two times a year he would come, and they'd rotate through, and all the different priests would have different assignments during their time. So he's of the division of, and then it says he was married, and the wife's name is Elizabeth, the da- one of the daughters of Aaron, her name was Elizabeth. And they were both, and here's the description. This would be a great thing if Scripture described you or me. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. <laughs> wow, I just, I don't know. I just think if, if I was described in the Scripture, it might not look quite that good. But these were people that loved and followed the law and loved God. Verse 7 has, so they're righteous, obedient, and faithful. Verse 7 has the big uh, conjunction, but. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well advanced in years. So here you've got a priest and his wife, righteous people, followed the law, loved God, but one of the biggest things in their life that didn't happen is children and particularly sons in that culture. And that had to affect them every day. You probably know people, Maybe there's probably people here this morning, that for one reason or another were unable to have children. that's, That's very difficult for some couples, really hard. Why, God, why did this happen? In this culture, it was actually believed to be a sign of God's hand of blessing removed. You know, sometimes they say, well, maybe you did something wrong or God is punishing you. They had different ideas about it, but it was just a terrible thing to not be able to have children in this, in this culture particularly. So here they are. They love God. Faithful people, they were unable to have children, and now they're old. So it's like that ship has sailed. Not going to happen. So what happens next? It says, so it was that while he, Zacharias, was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. Okay, this is a big deal too. It, you know, we're not part of the, the priesthood and the, the way things ran then, but understand that those two weeks a year, two separate weeks at two different times during the year, there were different responsibilities. They cast lots to see who got to do things inside of the temple where people, the public, did not go. They only went to the courtyards on the outside, but 
The temple was modeled after the tabernacle where you had the holy place in which there were three pieces of furniture, the, the candlestick and the table of showbread and the altar of incense, just like the Old Testament. Behind that was the holy of holies where the Ark of the Covenant was. Well, they had to service what was inside the holy place. In other words, the table of showbread, they didn't let it just sit there and mold, they, they replaced it. What about oil for the, the candlestick? They had to replace that. What about the incense, the altar of incense? They had to, two times a day, 9 o'clock a.m., 3 o'clock p.m., they had to come in and clean it out and, and uh, put new incense in there. So the lot fell to Zacharias to service the altar of incense. And understand that when the lot fell to you, you got to do that one time your entire life. I mean, you served different ways in the temple, but to service in the holy place. Wow, that was a place nobody went except as prescribed by the law of Moses. And in fact, they were so concerned about what could happen that you, it, it, the records say that when a priest would go into the temple, he'd go in alone, they'd often tie a cord around one ankle in case God struck them dead or something happened. Nobody wanted to go in the temple against the law of Moses. They'd have a way to haul them out. Pretty cool. When the high priest went into the Holy of Holies, where they, that was one time a year. He actually had bells sewn on the hem of his robe so they could hear him in there. Okay, he's okay. Still moving around. We're good. But anyway, just some of the background there. But Zacharias got drawn for the altar. He's an old man now, an old priest. This is it. This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. This is a big day. So here we go. Here we go. Verse, verse 11. Then, well, let me back up. When he went into the temple, this is the end of verse 10, the whole multitude of people was praying outside at the hour of incense. So it's not like no one was around. They just weren't in where Zacharias, so they couldn't see what was going on or hear what was going on. But they're outside praying at the hour of incense. Okay, then, verse 11, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Whoa, one of the biggest days of his life, one of the most critical moments as he stands in the holy place and an angel appears. That is not something that happens every day either. So at this critical moment, boom, angel. And what does it say? Well, it says what you would expect it would say. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. That's the natural response. And I, I would assume that if any of us were suddenly standing next to an angel in the same room, we would have at least a similar response. If not, we run for the nearest door or something. I mean, that would be a natural response. So he's going, whoa! Well, I don't know what he's doing, but he says fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, here's the incredible answer to the prayers of Zacharias and Elizabeth. The angel said to him, don't be afraid. Your prayer is heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, is going to bear you a son. And you're going to call his name John. How about that? Not only is you know, this information hard to process, we're too old to have children. He's even giving a name to the baby that's going to go, John, and you're going to have joy and gladness. Many will rejoice at his birth. He's going to be great in the sight of the Lord. He's going to drink neither wine or strong drink. He'll, uh, he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he's going to turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God 
He will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. This is quoted in the Old Testament referring to the forerunner, the one who would come to introduce Messiah that they've been waiting for for centuries. This news couldn't be any bigger. And here's this elderly priest looking at the angel, hearing that he's going to have a son, even told what to name him, Oh, and he's going to be the forerunner to the Messiah. I mean, well, this is like over the top. Whew. Now, what are you going to believe? Does that sound like something you just go, oh, okay, sure, great, yeah. I mean, he is stunned, to say the least. So what happens next? I mean, you know what happens, but just, just walk through the narrative with me. I, it's, wouldn't it be interesting to be in there and see his face? When the angel appears. So he, he gives this statement about what John's going to be. And Zacharias said to the angel, this is verse 18. Here's how I say it in your notes. Here's what Zacharias responds. What? Why should I believe this? It, no, 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 this is not happening. Zachariah, righteous, godly man, face-to-face with an angel, did not believe what the angel said. Now, you can point the finger at me and say, come on, Zacharias, because we know where the story's going. But in the moment, that had to sound like the most unbelievably, there's no way, how could this possibly be true information? And he wasn't having any of it. Here's how the verse actually reads. Zacharias said to the angel, how shall I know this? What? I'm an old man. My wife is well advanced in years. I know how these things happen. This is not happening. That's a little bit of an expansion of the verse, but that's essentially what he said. He didn't believe the angel. Nobody likes to be duped. Nobody likes to be told something that is flat impossible. We are more and more and more as a nation, I think as a people, more and more skeptical about everything because we've been fed so much baloney on so many levels and so now you hear something is like nobody likes to be duped (laughs) not even Zacharias with an angel talking to him he didn't buy it and so here's what happens we go back to Gabriel and the angel answered and said to him I am Gabriel Now, I don't know if that was a commonly known name in the Old Testament. He gave his name. The angel gave him. I'm Gabriel. Zacharias, I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you these glad tidings, and you don't believe me. Uh, Wouldn't you love to see Zacharias' face right now as the wheels are turning? You're, You're who? What? Huh? And here's what the angel says without any further conversation. But behold... You're going to be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled. So isn't this interesting? An angel speaks to a godly priest. He doesn't believe it. And so the consequence, which is halfway amusing, I mean, I think, I'm not sure why this was chosen, but this is what was chosen. You're not going to be able to speak. For the entire pregnancy of Elizabeth until she gives birth. 
you're not going to be able to speak. A priest, someone who knew the law, someone who taught, you're not going to be able to speak. Oh. And at that moment, he couldn't even respond to the angel. He couldn't even say anything. Do I get a second chance? No. <laughs> you did, because you did. So here it is in your notes. It's never a good idea to disbelieve God's positive pronouncements. It is never a good idea to disbelieve God's positive pronouncements. Now, it may be a good idea to disbelieve a lot of other stuff we hear on a daily basis. Every time I see a commercial that says, free, I want to go, right. You know, we just throw so much disinformation out there. And we're still wondering about a lot of things in the news. And some of the stuff our kids are being taught in the school system makes me go, what? But it's never a good idea to disbelieve God's positive promise. Here's just a few simple ones. The New Testament is full of them. Jesus said, I will never leave or forsake you. That is his word. I will never leave. I'll never back up. I am with you. Once you believe in me and I've adopted you, I'm with you. Here's another one. He told his disciples, and they had trouble with this one. They just, I don't know if they disbelieved it or just couldn't hear it or ignored it. Jesus said, I will rise again the third day to his disciples. It didn't register because their paradigm didn't have room for that kind of information. I love this one. It's to us today, First John, he writes his letter, and toward the back he says, here's the bottom line. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. How clear can it get? These things are written that you may know that you have eternal life. I believe in the doctrine of assurance. I don't believe we're called to live with doubt like I, I you know, I, I hope I'm going to heaven. I hope my ducks are lined up. I hope these things are written in them. I know that you have eternal life. I love that promise. Why would we disbelieve it? Behold, Jesus said, I come quickly. This is right at the end of the Bible. Just a few verses from the very end, last chapter of Revelation. Jesus says, behold, I come quickly. And my reward is with me to give to each one according to his work. So the reward isn't heaven. That's a free gift. The reward is based on how faithfully we've lived for him. And Jesus promises that he's coming quickly according to his timetable. And that when he comes, there'll be rewards for faithfulness. I love that promise. Kind of makes me think about how I live. And of course, just John 14. If I go and I am going, I will come again to get you so that we can all be together. That's a promise. Why would we disbelieve the positive pronouncements of God? Because they affect the way we live if we really believe what we say we believe. So here's Gabriel. This is what's going to happen. I'm not sure. I don't, that's, not, that's not happening. All right, here's the deal, buddy. It's going to happen, but you're not going to be able to say anything about it for these nine months. And suddenly he could not talk. And that, that is just, that's great. And it's almost humorous. Now, he come, it says the people waited outside the temple there and marveled that he was in there so long. They were wondering maybe if it's time to pull the court. You know, we're going to have to haul him out. And when he came out, 
Of course, he couldn't speak. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple. They wondered. He, he, he tried to give him sign language, which he obviously hadn't learned. How frustrating would that be? He, you just spoke with the angel Gabriel. Isn't that something you'd want to talk about? You know, you couldn't even get a word out. So it was, as the days of his service were completed, that he departed to his own house. And guess what? After those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived she hid herself for five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach among the people. And now, chapter 1 of Luke shifts to the next part of the story. It says, Now in the sixth month, that's of Elizabeth's pregnancy, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee, that's in the northern part of your Bible map, a city of Galilee named Nazareth, which was known as a little bit country bumpkin backwoods kind of a place. They had their own accent up there, up in Galilee, up north. Nazareth to a virgin who was engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And that fits right into the prophecies about the Messiah. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Now, once again, now different scene. For Zacharias, it was one of the biggest days of his life. He's chosen by Lot to do the altar of incense, a once-in-a-lifetime experience. And in the middle of that angel, whoa, good news, I don't believe it. And over here, ordinary day, nothing special going on. I don't know if it was laundry day or grocery day or the garbage out day or what, what, anything. Nazareth, not a lot going on. The angel Gabriel comes to a young woman and gives her an incredible greeting here. It was a normal day. She's living in Nazareth. She's engaged. And Gabriel says, you're blessed. You're going to conceive. You're going to give birth to the Messiah. Listen to these words. I, when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, what, 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 what does this mean? And the angel said, don't be afraid. Same thing he said to Zechariah. Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you're going to conceive in your womb and bring forth a son. His name will be Jesus. He'll be great. He's going to be called the son of the highest. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his, of his kingdom, there will be no end. Now, those words, all those phrases very clearly said this is the Messiah. This is the one that prophets have spoken about. This is the one. This, you will bear the Messiah. Now, that's some pretty positive pronouncements. Who's Mary? Who knows? And God is going to choose somebody that's just an ordinary person in a small town that to give birth to the Lord Jesus Christ. So what, what is her response? Well, it's confusion. And, and it's curiosity. So Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I don't know a man? She went right to the how question. Uh, Zacharias went to the no, because I know logically. I'm old. I've been around enough to know we're too old. This isn't. He, he just didn't believe it could happen. Mary just wanted a little more information. Now, wait a minute. How, I've, I've, I don't, how would this happen? And then the angel explains a little bit further these amazing verses. The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son 
of God. And by the way, your cousin Elizabeth is already expecting a child. And John, a little bit of information there. It's like, oh, wow. And Mary's response, you know, so great. How? How's this going to be? How? Well, we have questions like that. Asking how is not a problem. When you introduce who Jesus is to someone who's thinking about it and looking at all the biblical information, you know, and you tell them every sin is forgiven. Isn't that the first? How can that be? How can that be? Years ago, there was an elderly man that would not come to church, but he would come every Wednesday night and sit and listen to choir practice in our church. And uh, several people had spoken, a very gracious man, very, you know, humble. He'd just sit and listen to choir practice. He didn't think he was good enough to show up for church. Someone told me about him, so one of those Wednesday nights, I went over and sat down and started talking. And like many before me, I very gradually explained the gospel and God's forgiveness. And he simply shook his head and said, God can't forgive me. And, of course, that's like a, a, a piece of meat, you know, in front of the wall. <laughs> and you start explaining God's grace and how great it is. He's, no. Well, it turns out he was a World War II veteran that was involved in one of the more horrific battles in the European theater. And he told me what to Google and what to look up, where, unfortunately, even our allied forces and the Americans were involved in some horrible, horrible things that never should have taken place. He said, I was there. I was involved. There's no way God can forgive me for what I've done. He just came on Wednesday night just to listen to the words as the choir practiced for Sunday. Well, I heard that three days before he died, he finally accepted God's grace and put his faith in Jesus Christ, which is like, oh man, that's close. That's very close. Why would we disbelieve the positive pronouncements of God. Sometimes it might be because we think we know from either experience or some other sort. We know better. But Mary responded in verse 38, whatever God wants of me. That's the response. Zacharias, I don't see how that, that's, that's not happening. Mary, whatever God wants. And here's the key, key phrases in verse 37 of the passage here. Angel Gabriel says, remember, Mary, with God, nothing is impossible. With God, nothing is impossible. Now, it doesn't mean he's going to do everything that we'd like him to do on our timetable. But the fact of the matter is there's no limitations on God. With God, nothing's impossible. How is this going to happen? I, I know how babies are made, and I don't say... With God, nothing is impossible. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. What? Yeah. And she simply responded, whatever God wants. Right response. Now, just to finish the narrative, there's the song of Mary. and It's a long chapter here, chapter 1. And then we get to the birth of John the Baptist, and it's just fun because it ends that, that, that narrative there. <laughs> Finally, Elizabeth gives birth. And, and it's a son, and the neighbors and, and relatives are all celebrating, you know, poor old Zacharias. Oh, anyway, but this is great. And so they ask, what's it going to be named? And Elizabeth says, John. And they go, John? There's nobody in your family named John. What's going on, John? And, and uh, then on the eighth day, they take him to, be, to the temple to be 
uh, circumcised. And, uh, and guess what? Zacharias' tongue is loosed. What would you say after nine months of not being able to say a word where this miracle unfolded right in front of your eyes? He started praising God, but wouldn't that be something that all the neighbors who knew that he couldn't speak for nine months, now the baby's born, his name is John, and Zacharias goes, I have been waiting so long to say this, and, and you know, away, away you go. What, what a great narrative. The things that surround the Christmas story. So cool. But let me ask you this morning, is it possible that you are not fully embracing some of the promises, the positive pronouncement of God in his word because again you realize as followers of Jesus the entire foundation for our faith is in this book well I believe that but I'm not so sure about hold the phone is it possible you're not fully embracing the promises of God because they are multitude I will never leave you or forsake you. I will come back and I will get you. My peace is available to you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives. Give I to you. And Paul expands on that in Philippians chapter 4 when he says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and supplication, lay it out before the Lord like this. And guess what? The peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. I think that's, rather than medication, I think that promise is just, so powerful. Why would we disbelieve the positive pronouncements of God? God promised for centuries the Messiah would come. We have this perspective. We look way back a couple of millennia and see, yep, it happened, and we believe it. And he pronounces it to us today. Our sins can be forgiven. Our future could be determined if we believe in what God has said about the Lord Jesus Christ. you got to love that. And then to watch the Christmas story unfold, and everything, all of the amazing ways that the Old Testament prophets and all the details, the very place he was born, the way, amazing. Why would we disbelieve the positive pronouncements of God? There's a lot of things we probably ought to not believe that are floating around today. But you can take this to the bank. Why would we disbelieve? Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you so much for truth in a day and age when truth has been turned on its head and become somewhat relative. Or we talk about, well, that's your truth and this is my truth. <laughs> There's only the truth. May we embrace it fully. Thank you for the story of Christmas. It just once again ties together the pronouncements of God that were made. And then to watch the fulfillment, what an amazing thing. Father, as we walk through this week, remembering the birth of the Lord Jesus in Bethlehem, the story of the shepherds and Mary and Joseph and an inn that was full, may we again embrace the absolute truth of God becoming man and changing history. How we thank you for it this morning. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.